Take your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. 1 Corinthians 9. I know we're going through a series in the book of Jude, uh, but uh, having been away, we'll kind of shift from that tonight and uh, begin tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. Again, as I was uh, reading various parts of the Bible while I was away, this truth I was reminded of. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And if we could read together verse 24 and 25. Again, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 and 25. Let's begin reading together, reading out loud in verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Let's pray. Father, thank you for each one that's here. Again, we're so grateful for those believers that uh, give God Sunday, and, and, and we're thankful for everybody that comes uh, once on Sunday, but God bless these that come Sunday morning, Sunday night. Help us, Lord. I, I think this is probably a little more familiar part of the New Testament Help us to remember what it is and understand what it is that Paul's talking about. Guide my words, please. Fill me with your spirit. May all of this be helpful to each one. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, we've read from the book of 1 Corinthians. And, of course, Paul wrote the letter. We know that it was on Paul's second missionary journey that he entered the city of Corinth and the Bible tells us that he was in Corinth for a year and a half. So that was the second longest period of time that he was in any one city trying to establish a church. The longest was Ephesus. He was in the city of Ephesus for three years, but here he was a year and a half. And if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, uh, the problem with that church, it was a very carnal church, a very flesh-oriented church. That, uh, that, that was established in that town. And so many of the chapters in this book uh, or letter of 1 Corinthians were to correct problems in that church. We know that after Paul spent a year and a half there, he left it in the hands of some responsible leadership. But Paul heard after he left, sometime later, that, uh, that sin had crept in in so many ways. I am sure... Uh, being a pastor myself, I'm sure that Paul prayed, God, would you let me go back? No. Lord, I could fix some of those things if you'd allow me to go back. No. And in lieu of not going back, Paul wrote this 16-chapter book of 1 Corinthians. Again, almost every chapter of it was to fix some kind of a problem. And the overwhelming problem was people just thought about me. No, not, not me, but them themselves. And so he had to address that. When we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul compares the Christian life to four different things. Look at it there in chapter 9. Uh, first of all, in verse number 7, he saith, Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? So he compares a Christian to a soldier at war. And you know, in many ways that is true. Folks, if you're a Christian tonight, you're at war. And you're at war primarily with the devil, but he will use many to sign up to help his cause. 
So one, Paul compares a Christian to a soldier in a battle. The second thing we find, uh, keep reading there in verse 7, but he says there, and again, 1 Corinthians 9 and uh, verse number 7, uh, who planteth a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? So secondly, he compares Christians to hired workers in a, in a grapevine. I've never worked in, in a vineyard. I've never done that. Read of it, seen vineyards, I've eaten grapes from vineyards. But he said, in some ways, a Christian is like someone that works in a vineyard. Uh, the third thing, look there in verse number seven, who feedeth the flock? and eateth not the milk of the flock. So the third thing is to hired worker in a farmer's field, or in a farmer's yard, or in a farmyard. So he's compared us to a soldier in a war. He's compared us to a worker in a vineyard. He's compared us to a farmhand in a farmyard. But the uh, fourth thing that he compares you and I, it, verse 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all but one receive the prize? And so Paul winds up this chapter to compare Christians to runners in a race. I'd like to preach on this title, The Christian's Race. If you're taking notes tonight, The Christian's Race. Every one of us who is saved, we are a runner in a race. Now, honestly, when I was in school, I wasn't a runner. Maybe some of you were athletic. I was too small and I was too slow. And I thought, why embarrass myself? I'm not even going to sign up. And so I don't speak about running firsthand. But you know, there were many things about a runner in a race that are comparable to a Christian in this Christian life. And so we're going to have a look at that. Before we look at the Christian race, uh, we don't want to pass over some very clear things in this chapter. Back up to verse number one. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 1, Paul says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? So Paul begins by rejoicing that he's free. Now, of course he's free physically, but he's also talking about the fact that he is free spiritually. He's free from a destination in hell. He's free from sin's control. He's free from the politics of religion. And he's free to serve God. So he's rejoicing in his position in Christ. When we get there to verse 19, 1 Corinthians 9 and 19, for though I be free from all men, Yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain more. So on the heels of verse 1 saying, I'm free. He gets to verse 19 and says, that's not a license for me to live any way I want. He said, though I could live any way I want, and I would still end up in heaven. He said, I have made myself a servant so by my service, I could reach many for Christ. And folks, that is a good attitude. There is a thought process in the minds of some Christians, because I have eternal security, I can just live any way I want. I have no sense of duty or obligation. He said, that's not true. He said, now that we're free, we ought to commit ourselves to serve the Lord 
and uh, this modern Laodicean church, it is more geared to satisfying the whims of people. And if God has to be sacrificed, so be it. And so again, I'm saying to you, he's rejoicing that he's free, but he doesn't use that freedom as a license to live any way he wants. Having said that, we return again to 1 Corinthians 9.24, and Paul says to the Christian, we're running a race. May I remind you that we're running a race. So we're going to look at some things about a Christian in this race, and we don't need 1 Corinthians, but uh, would you turn there to Hebrews chapter number 12? Hebrews chapter 12. I, I suppose what got me down this train of thought was, again, after preaching uh, several messages at the conference, uh, there were some people, uh, mostly younger people, that walked up with their Bible and said, Brother Carlson, would you sign my Bible? That's yeah, an honor. No one has to do that. That's just an honor. Say, well, preacher, I don't think that that's right. Well, listen, some of the world and some Christian young people, they make heroes out of the world, out of Hollywood, and of all the stars. It's okay. If our young people love missionaries and preachers and Christian service, uh, some, most of them, when they said, could you please sign my Bible, I would answer this to see if they're listening. I would say, would you like me to sign my name or your name? And some of them looked at me and said, oh, I don't care. I said, well, then what's your name? <laughs> no, your name. And so uh, normally you, when you sign someone's Bible, you sign your name and then you put a reference. The reference that I've always written under my signature is Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3. Look what it's about. It's again about a Christian in a race. Look there in Hebrews 12 and verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Could I begin by saying the commencement into this Christian race? We're trying to learn about uh, the Christian race. Consider first the commencement into this Christian race. Pastor, you said every Christian is a runner in a race. When did we begin this race? You didn't become a runner in the Christian race when you were born. You became a runner in the Christian race when you were born again. Pastor, how do you know that? We know that by the we's and the us's in this verse number one. Look there again in Hebrews 12, verse one. Wherefore, seeing we also. That is said on the heels of Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter of faith. All of those mentioned in Hebrews 11 were believers through the 6,000 years of time. And on the heels of mentioning what every one of those believers, just so you understand who we're talking about, look at Hebrews 11 verse 4. By faith Abel, that was a believer. Look at verse 5. By faith Enoch, look at verse 7. By faith Noah, look at verse 8. By faith Abraham. Uh, look there, if you would, in uh, verse number 17, by faith Abraham. By, verse 20, by faith Isaac. So everybody in chapter 12 is a believer, or in chapter 11 is a believer. On the heels of all of those believers, look at verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 again. 
Wherefore, seeing we, he's talking to believers, and he's saying that every believer, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, believers, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so be, uh, easily beset us, believers, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. First of all, I want you to consider the commencement into this Christian race. We got in the starting block of this Christian race the moment that we got saved. Now, sad to say, there are some Christians that never left the block. They never took the first step in the race. They're not running at all for God. But that's when you commenced in this race. Pastor, I don't remember enrolling in any race when I got saved. All I did that hour, that moment, was ask Jesus to be my Savior. The Bible, look there again at the very end of verse 1. The Bible says, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You may not have picked this race, but this race was picked for you. And whether you're a runner in physical realm or not, you are a runner in this Christian race. So the very first thing that we notice here is the commencement into the Christian race. And that was our race began when we got saved. I uh, say, well, uh, uh, preacher, is everybody running? No, or is it everybody's not running for God? Uh, how sad it is, although we are grateful for every lost person who trusted Christ as their Savior, and although we know that everyone who has placed their faith in Christ is going to heaven one day, the fact is that far too many saints, after they got saved, haven't even begun this race that God set them on. And far too many saints and, and are just pretty Christians. They have the runner's outfit. They have the runner's shoes. They have the runner's physique, if you would. But they haven't left the starting block. And so again, we've considered, first of all, the commencement into this Christian race. Again, I was never very athletic, so I didn't run. But I watched it. And uh, it was a blessing to see how many on the starting line were there who thought they could do well. Not all of them that started finished. I give you a second thing. Not only about this Christian race do we see the commencement into this Christian race, but look at verse number two. On the heels of the race that we're in, verse one does not end with a period, so he's continuing to talk. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So if you and I are saved, then we're in this Christian race. I want you to notice, secondly, the concentration in this Christian race. Now, again, I've not run, but I've watched runners. Do you know that runners in a race do not concentrate on everything else that goes on around them? They are not watching how far ahead they are from someone else. They're not watching whether someone else is coming up upon them. They're not even focusing maybe on some other runner that's two steps, three paces ahead. According to the writer here, this is what they focus on. Look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. How many Christians do we know 
that when they got saved, God placed them in the Christian race just as much as God placed us in the Christian race. But something went horribly wrong. They somehow, somewhere along the line, got knocked out. And could I say that most got knocked out because they got their eyes on someone else. If a runner gets his eyes on someone else, he is bound to be outpaced by the one that's concentrating. I say to you, a runner keeps his eyes on that finish line. Whether it's the 100-meter dash or this morning, as I talked about Eric Liddell, the 400-meter run, the secret to this Christian race is don't keep your eyes on other people. Keep your eyes on what verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. If you're going to do well in this Christian race, he is the one that you're focused on. Too many Christians are no longer in the race. They're not still just at the starting block. They're no longer even at the starting block. It is merely a historical fact that they once were there, but they're not there anymore. And they got their eyes on somebody. Maybe they, they got their eyes on a family member who got disappointed in God and quit. If you get your eyes on somebody that's disappointed you'll become disappointed. Maybe they got their eyes on some full-time Christian, be it a pastor, be it a missionary, be it an evangelist, be it a Sunday school teacher. They got their eyes on somebody that they had a tremendous amount of respect for. And through time, they found out that that person did something that was not right. Hold on. None of us this side of heaven are perfect including you. So that means all of us somewhere are going to fall short of this thing called perfection. But if you have your eyes on somebody in this world, when they fail, you'll fail. Keep your hand there in Hebrews 12. Look there at Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians chapter 5. We were in 1 Corinthians when we started 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. Look there in Galatians chapter 5. Paul, this, this could be one of the first books that Paul wrote because Galatia was one of the first places that Paul took the gospel to. We read that in Acts chapter 13. Shortly after Paul went through Galatia, he wrote this letter to those believers. And uh, Paul said this, look there in Galatians 5 and verse 7. Paul said to these believers, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Notice it wasn't a what, it was a who. He said, who was the cause for you no longer running this Christian race that you were in? Folks, it's a great thing to be encouraged by another Christian who's run this race longer than you. That's a great thing. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But you can't focus your eyes on anyone else. You have to focus your eyes on God. And if you focus your eyes on a who, then that who may be the very one that hinders you in your race. 
Again, back there to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. We are reminded here that uh, if you get to focusing on any other thing but the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to mess you up. Sometimes people focus on the obstacles, the, the world. Oh, it's such a great, it's such a great opposition in this world. Don't focus on the world. The flesh, well, this old flesh is wicked. I know it's wicked. Don't focus on the, the devil. Sometimes uh, folks uh, focus on sins and temptations and distractions. Sometimes they get focused on carnal friends or busyness or the disappointments of life. Look there again at Hebrews 12 and verse number 2, looking unto Jesus. That's where we need to focus. And I say we've seen first the commencement into the Christian race and second the concentration in this Christian race. Do you know why do we focus on the Lord? Well, he's the one that saved us. And he's the one that called us. And he's the one that's going to reward us. We've not been called by other people. We've not been called by Christian people. We've been called by God, and it's God that we're to impress. It's only God. Our call is not to perform well before other runners. Our call is not to preoccupy ourselves with who else is running. Our call is simply to run so that we might please him. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 3.14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's who Paul focused on. There's no man on record in the Bible, I would say, that went through more opposition than Paul. How did he keep going? He focused on the Lord and not on all the other distractions that were around him. Uh, Ecclesiastes said this in chapter 11, verse 4. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the cloud shall not reap. I know that farmers are not oblivious to the weather. I understand that. I know that farmers are not ignorant, uh, sorry, ignorant to the climate and, and all of that. But if a farmer made his decision to plant solely off of the weather, that verse said he'd never plant. And if he decided, I'll only harvest when all the conditions are perfect, he'd never harvest. Folks, we cannot focus on these things that are around us. And thank God that there are some great Christians in the past that did what was right, and it wasn't always easy, but they did what was right because they focused on God. I already read Galatians 5, 7, so I won't turn, have you turn back to that. You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? But verse 8, very next verse. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. God has called every Christian into this Christian work. If you're not doing the Christian work, God wasn't the one that dissuaded you. God was the one that called you. And so I say, secondly, we learn from the text the concentration in this Christian race, and that's where to keep our eyes on the Lord. Peter wrote, but as he which hath called you is holy, 
so be holy in all manner of conversation. And again, these Galatian Christians, they never did get that straight. They focused on what others were doing. Did you notice Paul was suggesting that it was a who who messed up the Galatians' race? Now, again, I'm not a runner, but if you're doing a mile, you keep yourself at a good pace. You can't pour it all out at the beginning, but you keep a good pace. As you get closer to the finish line, you press even harder at that pace because you want to cross that finish line first. If you are starting to slow down instead of slowly speeding up, there is somebody else that you're keeping your eyes on but Jesus Christ. There's a lot of Christians that are slowing down. There are a lot of Christians that have convinced myself it's okay for me to do less for Jesus Christ. You didn't get that from the Bible. You got that from friends. You got that from your own thinking, not from God. I give you a third thing that we learn about this Christian race. Look back there in Hebrews 12.1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, what I'm about to say is going to sound like it's contradictory to what I've already said. I know that we cannot focus on people around us in this race that we're running for the Lord. But we're still cognizant of the fact that there are people around us that are watching as we run for the Lord. Folks, you are not an island to yourself. I am not an island to myself. When I make a decision, there are others that are watching the decision that I make. And here after uh, an entire chapter, chapter 11, on great Christians, believers that have gone before you and me, on the heels of that long list of great saints, again, Hebrews 12, verse 1, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. There's a lot of debate what that means. I'm going to go with the simplest, even if it's the wrong one. The writer there says, as you run, there are many others that have run before you, Hebrews 11, that are wanting you to finish this race that you, they finished. They want you to finish it. Folks, the only one that doesn't want you to finish is the devil. The only one that's in the business of discouraging Christians is the enemy of Christians. That's Satan himself. That's why Satan in Revelation 12, 9 is called the accuser of the brethren. And the devil is convinced if he can throw enough mud and enough eggs and enough tomatoes and enough slander and enough hurtful words that he will get you to stop in this Christian race. He'd like nothing better. But may I say to you that there is a vast crowd of people in the past, Hebrews 11, and there are a vast number of believers that very much need you to complete this race. So the third thing, again, if you're taking notes, the third thing that we notice is the company 
in this Christian race. No, we don't keep our eyes on others that will only distract us from doing our best. But we're aware that there are others that are watching. And folks, if, if your Christian life is up and down and up and down and up and up and down and down, people see that. And people come to the conclusion that you've just never really gotten victory with God. Christians that have victory with God have troubles and trials just like you. But they don't wear their feelings on their sleeve and they don't wear their feelings on their face. They get alone with God in the prayer closet and it's in that prayer closet where they get the victory. And then they come out in that race and are running for God. For your children who are part of that company that are around you, you need to keep running this Christian race. For other Christians that are struggling, you need to keep running in this Christian race. Your being defeated could have a powerful negative influence on them being defeated. I think of Timothy, great Christian. Paul first met him, possibly Acts 14, but he's first mentioned in Acts 16. Paul said of Timothy that uh, his, his mother was a Jewess which believed, but his father was a Greek. The indication is this young Timothy, he grew up with a Christian mom and an unbelieving dad. That's, that's the indication. When you get over to 2 Timothy, Paul commends Timothy because he said, you got a real faith. It's an unfeigned faith. It's an unfaked faith. He said, Timothy, you got the real thing because you had a grandmother and you had a mother that had the real thing. The odds were against Timothy of him ever amounting to something great for God because he was raised in the home of an unbelieving father. But he had a mother that got a hold of God and a grandmother that had got a hold of God and that grandmother and that mother made up for the deficiency of a spiritual father in that home. And I think that grandmother and that mother were cognizant of the fact that we have to keep running for God regardless of what others do because there are little eyes that are watching. And there are big eyes that are watching. And if we have any hopes of our children making the best of choices, can't guarantee it, but if we have any hope of it, folks, we have to keep running. And so I say the third thing that we learn about this Christian race is we learn of the company in this Christian race. Uh, you know that when there's any kind of a, a sports game, the other end in the gym, and teams are being picked, well, if you're there standing against the wall, uh, you've got hopes that that captain picks. You don't really want that captain. You, you, why? That guy's a winner. That guy doesn't give up. That guy doesn't make excuses. That guy, even if the team is behind by 10 points, he is still rallying his players to press on, don't give up. 
Well, that guy, that other captain, my goodness, he, he quits at a moment's notice and he's in one day and out the next day and excited one day and discouraged another day. Folks, you better and I better consider the fact that as much as we can't be focused on what others do, there are people that are watching what we do. And may God help us to be aware of that fact in this Christian race. I have you realized that all of those witnesses prove that the Christian race that we're in can be done and can be won. Do you know, try, people have all kinds of excuses why I can't. I can't. We gave out Bible reading CDs. And, uh, well, I can't. Why can't you? Why can't you? What is more important in your day than opening up God's Word and reading it? I keep talking, but silence is sometimes a good thing. Tell Noah, it's just too hard to stand alone. It was he and his family that stood alone. Tell Daniel, well, the government is just pushing hard against us. Daniel lived in a land where the government was pushing hard against us. Tell Joseph that people were lying about me and so I couldn't press on. His own brothers sold him as a slave into Egypt. He kept pressing on. I see the third thing about this Christian race we learn is the company of this Christian race. I, I give you a fourth thing, and let go of Hebrews for just a minute, though I think we'll be back. Uh, look there in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Pastor, you look impassioned about this. Do you know, I've, I've just been at a Bible conference, and, and when I was there, praise the Lord, there were some new faces. But there were some also some old faces that weren't there anymore. And I would say to Brother Knox, where is so-and-so? Oh, they're not here anymore. I'd say to the associate, David Brown, man, I looked around for, for that man. Where is he? And his face just went very straight and very somber. Folks, a lot of people that used to be in the Christian race, and they're not. They've all got all kinds of reasons. Most times it's a who. And whether it's a who of a friend that talked you out of it, or it's a who of someone that you had high respect and they disappointed you. I give you a fourth thing about this Christian race. You're there in 2 Timothy 4, look verse 6 and 7. Again, 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 and 7. For I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul the Apostle, this is the last chapter he wrote. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I know that in some running races, they all start at their starting block and within a quarter lap, they're all lined up behind each other. I understand that. But you know there are some running races where their course is set before them. They have to stay in their lane. And if they cross over into someone else's lane, 
they're disqualified from the race. This Christian race is like that kind of race. God has set before each of us a course, a path that we're to take. And folks, we don't have the liberty of saying, well, I wish I had his course, and I wish I had her course, because they are so much easier. Easier or not, God has given each of us our own course. And so, look here in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. Paul, at the end of his life, said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I, I have to admit, when, when I go to some of these big conferences, I'm envious. No, allow me. I, I think if you're honest, you'll probably say the same. But when you're in a church that's just bustling with 300 people, and when that congregation sings, you almost see the roof lifting. Man, when you're in a place like that, down deep in your heart, I'd like to move here. Yeah, but God didn't put you on that course. And you know, the sense of loyalty to many about their course is getting weaker and weaker and weaker. People are abandoning the course that God's put before them because they just are fascinated with someone else's course. It's a great thing to visit. But that's not the course. And here, Paul was able to say, I have finished my course. I give you fourth, if you're taking notes, we notice the course in this Christian race. Do you know Paul was born a Jew? Not everybody is born a Jew. Paul was raised in Jerusalem under a teacher named Gamaliel. Not everybody is raised in Jerusalem under a teacher named Gamaliel. Paul was called to be a missionary to the Gentiles. Not everybody is called to be a missionary to the Gentiles. Paul was commissioned to plant churches throughout Asia and eventually throughout uh, Europe. Not all of us have been called to plant churches in Asia and Europe. Paul was ordained of God to suffer tremendous persecution in the call of God on his life. Not all see that. Now, let me bring it down so personal it's painful. God has given me some health issues that none of you will ever face. I can't spend my time crying in my soup about the fact that God has put this in my course. It's my course. You know, I, I, I see you with no glasses and think, boy, it'd be wonderful not to have to wear glasses. <laughs> uh, I, I see some of you that look like you're in perfect health. I know looks are deceiving, but you look like you're in perfect health. Not everybody's in perfect health. Some of you look like you have a sound mind. Looks can be deceiving. Some of you look like you have a sound mind. Folks, I can, I can forfeit this race because I don't like my course. But I wouldn't get done what God's called me to do. I want to be able to say before the Lord takes me home, I have finished my course. Don't you want to say that? Well, to be able to say that, you can't bail out when there are tough details of your course. 
again, we see forth the course in this Christian race. Paul didn't have the liberty to simply look at other Christians and assume their course. He had to follow the God's prescribed course for his life. You know, God, you know, God called my wife and I to come to Portage, 1990, and start an independent Baptist church, and that was his course before us. We weren't given the opportunity to argue with God, and we don't have any desire to argue with God. You have your lane, I've got mine. We always get into trouble when we claim to be an expert on how another man ought to run in his lane. There are some basic truths in the scripture, but I don't have all the answers for you in your lane. I can just give you the directions that God's word gives. I'm saying the fourth thing we find about this Christian race is the course. Why is it that God allows tremendous difficulties in some believers' lives, but not all believers' lives? Why is it that God interjects health issues for some, financial issues for others, loneliness yet for others? Why is it that God puts some in a single-parent home, others in maybe a verbally abusive home, some in a debt-riddled home, why does God call some people to notable places, other people to isolated places? Why is it God does that? I had someone ask me down at that conference, tell us about your city. Well, humor me. What do you tell somebody about Quarters La Prairie? I said, it's flat. You can see your dog run away for three days. Uh, listen, folks, don't be hurt. But, you know, we don't have any skyscrapers in the city. Uh, we don't have uh, any, you know, marvelous flower gardens that people would travel halfway around the world to come and see. We're just little portage. And that's okay. And if you get your mind on some other place and say, why aren't we there? Because that's not the course that God put you in. Thank God for your course, but you have to stay in your lane. You have to keep running in the course that God's given you. I give you a fifth thing. Again, I've got six tonight, so here's fifth thing. Hebrews 12 again, and look at verse 3. We've seen the commencement in this Christian race. Your race began when you got saved. We have seen the concentration in this Christian race. We're to keep our eyes on the Lord, not people. We have seen the company in this Christian race. Others who've run before us need us to press on. We have seen the course in this Christian race. Some particulars only you've been given. And you have to accept that. I give you fifth, Hebrews 12 and verse 3. Hebrews 12 and verse 3. Uh, we read there, for consider him, that's Christ, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. The fifth C is in that verse 3. Contradiction. You know, when you accept the race that God has put you in, there will be a tremendous pushback. There will be a tremendous contradiction of sinners to prevent you from finishing your race. Our Lord Jesus, when he came to this earth, he knew that he was to go to the cross, lay down his life to pay for the sins of the world. 
But there wasn't an easy road from Bethlehem to Calvary. How many times did he face the contradiction of sinners? There were those that were trying to discourage him. There were those that were trying to knock him off the path. There were those that were trying to get him to quit. And folks, in this Christian race that each of us are in, there is going to be a contradiction. There is going to be a friction that you face. There is going to be an opposition, and the source of all of it is the devil. But it sure comes in different forms. I say, fifth, consider the contradiction in this Christian race. I would remind you that Bible Christianity in this world are going opposite directions. And if the greatest Christian who ever walked this earth, Jesus Christ, was hated and despised and rejected and finally killed, it is not going to be an easy street for any of us in our course. Jesus said, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And so I say to you that if you're going to keep going on in the Christian race, there will be people that just make it miserable. <laughs> there will be people who live to make it hard. You know, when the world objects to the Lord's Prayer in public schools, you just need to keep running the race. When the Lord, sorry, when the world, rather, uh, removes the Ten Commandments from the walls of our judicial buildings, you just need to keep running the race. Do you know when the Bible is a forbidden book in public schools, you need to just keep running this Christian race. Do you know when the world objects uh, to a sniper, listen to me closely, when the world objects to a sniper shooting at a doctor that performs abortions, but the world doesn't object to the doctor that's taking the lives of multitudes of unborn. You say, Pastor, that's not fair. You just need to keep going. Do you know when this world says uh, that when this world says that we can't openly rebuke the queers and the molesters and the pornographers, but the world can openly rebuke Christians? To preacher, it's not fair. That's life. You just have to keep running. You know, it might be that one day this world removes charitable status from churches who insist on holy living. When they do, you just have to keep running, as Christian writes. You know, when the world wants to protect the black bear... <laughs> and the squirrel in its natural habitat, but it opposes Christian parents wanting to protect their children from the vices of this world. See, Pastor, it's just not fair. That's the contradiction of sinners. I'm saying to you that it's part of the race. I don't think it was fair that the religious leaders called Jesus illegitimate, but they did, and Jesus kept running the race.
I don't think it was fair that Jesus' own mother and brothers tried to interrupt his preaching service. But they did. And yet Jesus kept running the race. I don't think it was fair that Jesus' own friends turned against him and said that he was mad. But they did. And Jesus kept running the race. I don't think it was fair that one of the twelve, Judas, Jesus, who Jesus befriended and tried to help, betrayed the Lord Jesus. But Judas did. And Jesus kept running the race. I don't think it's fair that the soldiers cursed Christ and spit in his face, smote his cheeks and crowned him with thorns, but they did. And when they did, Jesus kept running the race. Pastor, it's so hard. That is the contradiction of sinners to a Christian that's running the race. I don't know what you face. All I know is what I face. And I'm not even sure if I know all that I face. Whatever it is you face, there's only one that will be happy if you quit the race. And that's the devil. And of course, those that work for him. You're going to find out that lost people would rather have you drunk or on drugs or carousing with women or cussing than singing the old-fashioned hymns of the church. Just keep running the race. You're going to find that there is some family that would rather have you gamble your money away than put it in an offering basket. That's contradiction of sinners. Just keep running the race. Uh, you're going to find that uh, there might be some that would rather have you in a street game. That there are some that would rather have you involved in a hundred other things. I'm saying to you, that is this world. And that's why Paul said it's very important that I keep my body under subjection, 1 Corinthians 9.27, so that I can keep running the race in spite of the contradictions against me. Do you know uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9.25, uh, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Folks, we that are trying to live a separated Christian life, there's some things we just don't do. There's some things we just can't do so that we can run this race to please the Lord. You say, oh, preacher, other Christians do it. Other Christians toss aside that old-fashioned Bible. Other Christians have traded in those old hymns for something that's got a beat and a jive and a wiggle and it's contemporary. Pastor, other Christians, they found a church that has a 10-minute message. You would feel cheated if I only gave you a 10-minute message. But Christians that don't like preaching, they would like a 10-minute message. Uh, you're going to find that you have friends that they had it up to here with missions and soul winning and all of that stuff. And they're not going to hesitate to tell you and laugh at you if you don't change. You know what you do with that kind of contradiction? Just keep running the race. You don't want to keep your eyes on them. You want to keep your eyes on him. I give you the last thing. I'm done with this. Uh, look there in Hebrews 12, verse 3. Say, preacher, it just isn't easy. It just isn't easy. Well, look at Hebrews 12, verse 3. 
For consider him, that's Christ, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Could I give you the last thing, the cure in this Christian race? Preacher, I'm so discouraged. Other friends, Christian friends, were so close to me. It seems now they're my very enemies. What do I do? Well, here's the cure. Verse 3. Consider him. Let's consider Christ. You know, when you think you got it bad, there was one that had it worse than you. And that's Jesus Christ. Listen, if somebody's angry at me because I've disappointed them, I understand that. I may very well. You, 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 can't, you can't try to lead without breaking someone's heart, even if you don't plan to. May I say to you that when you think you've got it bad, you don't have it as bad as Jesus Christ. And that's what verse 3 says. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Why? Lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. A lot of Christians that are weary. Well, if you're weary, why don't you read about the weary Jesus who sat at Jacob's well? It'll help you to keep going. When you're tempted, why don't you consider Jesus tempted for 40 days in the mountain and keep on going? When you're betrayed, when somebody that you were sure was in your corner is now saying things that are hurtful, why don't you consider Jesus had one of his 12 who betrayed him? When you have a bitter cup of circumstances why don't you read about the bitter cup that Jesus drank from at Calvary? When you're out of money, you need to be reminded that Jesus too is penniless. I'm saying the cure for quitting is to consider him. We need to consider why Jesus went through it all. And he endured it so that he could save lost sinners. He endured it for you and for me. And so the cure, when you get tired of this Christian race, just consider him. Folks, he has set the path. He is the trailblazer. He's made the way. Uh, I'm told that the U.S. Marines have tremendous training. One of the most difficult of their training is what they call a cliff assault. Sometimes the Marines are assigned to take an enemy position, and that enemy position is defended by the enemy. And maybe the only weak point is a cliff on one side. And the enemy is convinced that no one will ever mount that cliff side, and so they have all their defense on the other side. The Marines are trained how to do a cliff assault. And what they do is at nighttime, I'm told that uh, at nighttime they will get on their rafts, if you would, and they will get close to that cliff. And when they're close to that cliff in their small boats, they fire a rocket through the darkness. And attached to that rocket is a grapnel, a hook. And it lands up there on that high ground. And to that hook is a very small string. 
and one of the well-trained of the U.S. Marines, he then begins to climb that small string, sturdy but small nonetheless, and he climbs up to the very top of it, and attached to him is a much thicker rope. So when he gets to the top, he takes that rope and he ties it around something secure on the top of that cliff. And the rest of those Marines that are in that boat or boats below, they tighten that rope. And they are climbing that rope as quickly and quietly as they can. It's called a cliff assault. Do they know how it's tied up top? No, they can only hope that it's tied properly to something that's secure. And you know what? The only confidence that they have is they know that the one that went before them finished his task. Their confidence is in the one that went before them. Folks, I'm not saying that your course, my course, our course is without hardship, trouble, disappointment, discouragement. But there is one that has gone before us, and that's Jesus Christ. You say, Preacher, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. None of us do. But we can have confidence in the one that's gone before us. He made this journey. He has finished his course, and he'll help us finish.